0: Now, could we turn over to Isaiah chapter 53? And uh, I advise you, as it's... Uh, I'm going through the whole of it. To put, perhaps you could put your Bible on the front seat in front uh, rather than uh, weigh yourself down for the whole of my sermon. But uh, if not, you know, do it whichever way you like. But uh, So if we turn over to Isaiah 53, actually starting at verse 52. And... Uh, Now, you may have noticed I gave the sermon title as Breaking the Code. Uh, What do I mean? Well, um, it's to do with this expression, the Lamb of God, which we won't find in Isaiah chapter 52 to 53, although we have absolutely clear references to the idea. They're not the actual words themselves in these texts. So before doing so, I want to pray. Uh, So let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we remember that when the Lord Jesus was talking to to two people on the Emmaus road, he opened the scriptures and their hearts burned within them as he explained everything in the Old Testament which spoke of him. And Lord Jesus, we would pray that tonight you will speak to us and cause our hearts to burn, Lord, uh, as we as we uh, read this amazing document, these amazing prophecies uh, in the Old Testament. We pray, Lord, that uh, the word of God will truly bear fruit in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one thing I want to say straight away is the Bible is, is definite about one thing. The basic ideas of the Bible are very easy to understand. And though I'm using the word breaking a code, I'm only saying that in a kind of a, uh, a general way, because the Bible isn't in a in a code. Um, what it is, is a book that does have some complex things in it, but we understand their meaning when we use the Bible itself to interpret the Bible. You may have heard of the Enigma Code, which uh, was a code um, um, that was basically... Um, or the Enigma machine was used to, to um, in the Second World War, the whole there was a whole project to interpret this very complicated. Um, Machine that the Germans used to pass on messages about their, their dispositions, and in fact, it was incredibly complicated. It was reckoned I don't know that for every um, letter on this uh, the Enigma machine, there were like seventy-two thousand possibilities of what it would mean, or something. So, so any any uh, any translation or code breaking needed an incredibly powerful brain. Fortunately, they were able to create a computer. Uh, one of the first computers to actually decode these messages. But you see, the Bible isn't like that. The Bible's central message is straightforward. But we do need to interpret the Bible by itself. So when I'm talking about decoding uh, the Bible, what we're talking about is letting the Bible speak for itself and help us to understand what particular phrases mean. But I've selected this idea the Lamb of God because... Firstly, this is an incredibly important um, phrase in the Bible, and uh, it doesn't just refer to a quaint idea that thousands of years ago people could talk about the Lamb of God and understand what it meant. It's a vital thing. In the book of Revelation 13:8, it says, all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. And uh, the writer is warning that the, the world will worship the beast, the devil, will go the devil's way. But only those who don't are those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And in fact, the, the book of Revelation uses the word Lamb 27 times. And uh, it's an in, in, incredibly important uh, idea for that meaning, for, for that reason. That, the, the meaning of it is so important. Now, how do we how do we interpret the Lamb of God just in general before we look at Isaiah 52 and 53? Well, look, firstly, on numerous occasions in the Old Testament, the killing of a lamb of a sacrifice is explained on a number of occasions. I mean. Even before Moses uh, was given by God all the instructions for worship and the priest's instructions for the killing of lambs and sacrifice, even before that happened, there was a great deliverance of of Israel from slavery. And during the Passover meal, a lamb was killed and then eaten. But the lamb's blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of the houses of the, of, the, of the Jewish people. And the idea was that the angel of death that was coming over uh, Egypt in judgment upon uh, the Egyptians for their, their, their history of, of murder and massacre of, of uh, Jewish babies and their oppression of people in general. But as the, it came over and, and uh, brought judgment upon the households of the Egyptians with the eldest son dying, those who had the sprinkled blood of the lamb were delivered and freed. And in the Old Testament, we're told that also there was a guilt offering. Now this is, a if you read carefully through Isaiah 52 and 53, you see this clear expression of the fact, men are guilty, men and women are guilty, and they will be delivered by the servant and his death. So the word lamb refers not oh just to a nice little picture of oh Jesus was meek and mild and he was happy just like a little lamb and he was innocent no that's not that sentimentalized view of the word lamb is not actually what the bible refers to the code word lamb operation lamb we might say refers to the mission to forgive the sins of the world through the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ And uh, what I want to do uh, in the 25 minutes or so that I've got left is to actually look at aspects of uh, this uh, this um, chapter, chapter in and in a quarter. Now, uh, let, let me firstly therefore start off by saying it starts off with in verse 13 of chapter 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely; he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. Now, this begins with a contrast. Between Christ as the Son of God exalted and high and lifted up as he was in heaven. In his wisdom he has chosen to come into this world and go through humiliation. It was the case that he was uh, exalted as God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He then entered into this world and was went through the suffering and the pain and the humiliation of his life upon earth, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped onto, beheld onto, but humbled himself, taking the form of a slave, and he suffered, even to death on a cross. And uh, what we have in in these first um, three verses is the contrast between this man, verse 14, as many were as astonished at you, appearance so marred beyond human semblance who in his death went through the most degrading painful, humiliating suffering such that his body you know his, it, you know, would not, not, wouldn't normally have been recognized as indeed was what happened after crucifixion he, he remember had been beaten up by men with iron fists if you like that had would have had their, their mailed fists on as they beat him up and had broken his cheekbones, broken his nose, caused bruises and swelling all over his face. He then was, His back was then torn apart by a scourge of, uh, of whips with bits of metal and glass on the end of these scourges, whipping with all of his flesh being ripped off his back and his bones showing. And uh, probably around his front as well, and then being crucified, his whole body covered in his own blood. No, there was no washing of his wounds. There was, there was just congealed blood from the hours before, and his, he was didn't he was beyond rec- uh, recognition of a of a human being, and uh, yet, and yet this one who is so degraded. So exalted, so that not only is it going to be just his friends are going to be sprinkled by his blood, leading to their salvation, but he will sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of it, because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. So that this 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 lone figure on the cross at Calvary, that went through the most tr- tremendous hatred. And contempt, both from non-Jews and Jewish people, is actually going to be the one that's going to cause all men, all women, to be staggered and stunned when they see him in his glory. So that's the introduction uh, to to um, to the uh, to the section. And then uh, in verse fifty, uh, from chapter fifty-three, verse one onwards, um, Isaiah picks up this theme of. Who has believed what he's heard from us? He's told us at the end of the story that all of these elite people, all of these kings and rulers themselves will one day shut their mouths and they will understand, they will see, they will be staggered, they'll be the ones who will shut their mouths. But in the present, in the present when Jesus came, who believed? Who has believed what he's heard from us? and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed now by the way uh, that, uh, that expression to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed shows us that it is a mighty miracle of God when someone comes to understand that Jesus was who he said he was that he was the saviour of the world the arm of the Lord delivered, uh, delivered Israel from Egypt and it is God's intervention in history miraculously in people's hearts and, and lives giving them the revelation of Jesus Christ that actually brings them to faith But uh, Isaiah writing from 700 BC onwards and looking over the history of salvation future uh, sees of course that during Jesus' life there were so few that believed. And uh, we uh, we see that the elite people despised him. And uh, we see that in verse 3 it says he was despised and rejected by men. Now the, word that, the Hebrew word that's used there for men is actually talking about um, the well thought of men, the elite, the best of men. The best of men despised and rejected him. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now um, the, uh, the sorrows uh, of Jesus of course is, is well documented in the Bible. His, his great sorrow at the at the uh, prospect of Jerusalem rejecting him. And Jesus, when he looked on Jerusalem, was not uh, filled with self-pity. Oh, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. No, as he looked upon Jerusalem uh, just a a few days before he was going to die, he he looks upon them with pity. Oh, that you knew what made for peace. Jesus knew he'd, he'd come to die. He'd come to bring them peace. But oh... Lord would be that you knew what it meant uh, to have peace. He was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. Now the Hebrew there for grief is is very much linked to sickness and the the troubles of sickness. And uh, actually, when we look at Isaiah, we see that Isaiah talks about this sickness that is the sickness of the soul. And we assume that uh, here he's. This, this use of the word grief linked to sickness is linked to, to the very first chapter of Isaiah. Because in the very first chapter of Isaiah, you, you can listen to me or you can look it up if you want to. You'll see that he says in verse 5 of chapter 1, Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint through sin. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. They are, he says, verse 4, before he describes the sickness, they are a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers. Now Jesus was acquainted with with the sickness of the soul of sin. That's what it says. He was a man of sorrows, but he was acquainted with grief, the sickness of sin. And of course, Jesus was this doctor who didn't... You know, it's amazing how you see that the Gospels bring out these themes. The Pharisees, you know, opposition to Jesus partly was because he mixes with sinners. He's friends of sinners. And Jesus said, well, a doctor does not come to those who are well he comes to those who are sick and jesus was the great doctor of sin in our hearts I, you know we go to see our doctors regularly i hope um, especially as we've got doctors here that we all trust our doctors and uh, and look to them to help us to deal with our sicknesses i hope even more that you trust jesus to deal with your sicknesses of sin and that you bring your Sicknesses, your sins, your particular things that you know, perhaps besetting sins, perhaps things, perhaps things that that trouble you. Bring them to Him. He's the expert. He is acquainted with the deepest evil, most evil people, and He's acquainted with the most sordid and squalid sins. And that's why we can trust Him to deal with our case. Maybe someone on, online is listening that isn't a Christian, or is a Christian that is troubled by the weight of their past and of their past sorrows caused by sin in their life, by darkness and evil and selfishness. Well, the Lord is well acquainted with you and well acquainted with people worse than you and he can can heal you. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as we'll see. And uh, he is also the doctor who is able to help us and heal us from our sins. Now, the thing is this, that, of course, it tells us that in verse 4, that Christ has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, here we come to this incredibly important theme of the Savior who has come to save and bear our griefs away. The verb uh, that is again used for born here is the Hebrew word nasa, which actually uh, isn 't just you know the sense of oh he lifted up our sins or carried our sins, but actually it's more like that he 's lifting up our sins onto himself to carry them away and here we come to a a, a very uh, a, a very serious aspect of what the Lord did for us. remember he was forced to carry his own cross to Calvary now. People do wear crosses as decorations, and many churches have crosses as decorations. we even got a, got a, 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 a window in the shape of a cross on our, on our church. Um, but a cross is not a decoration. It represents the sins that Jesus had to carry. Jesus had to carry his cross, and it, it, it was difficult. You had to have help carrying that physical cross. But fortunately, in his soul, he could carry, although his body could not carry that heavy cross of wood, Jesus' soul, his infinite soul, could carry the cross of sin. Our whole life's story of sins was borne up by Jesus. The, The sins of the world he carried Both on the way to the cross and finally when he was crucified. The horror of your sins and my sins actually helped to create the load that was crushing Jesus as he actually was taking uh, himself to the cross. As we read in uh, earlier in 1 Peter 2 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. And so when it it says that he bore our sins, um, he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, it's telling us that Christ was our substitute. Now, here's where we see this this shadow of the Lamb, you know, being, or, or we might even say, not the shadow of the Lamb being cast upon these verses, but almost the glory of the Lamb shining through these verses. The lamb, the guilt offering, the lamb that was, was slain, uh, killed, and offered as a sacrifice uh, morning and evening um, uh, by the priests in the, in the old te- temple, the guilt sacrifice. The lamb died as a symbol in the, the Old Testament times, as a symbol of, of the taking away of our sins that will be accomplished by Jesus Christ all of those hundreds of years later. I mean, we're told in the book of the Hebrews that the, the blood of, of uh, animals can't take away sins. But what can take away sins is the Lamb of God who was pure and holy and suffered on our behalf. He became our substitute. No sinner could bear away the sins of another. Now, that actually is, is, is actually shown in the protocol for priests in the temple. You see, priests in the temple... Um, Jewish priests in the temple in Jerusalem—they were not allowed to actually um, be involved in the sacrifice of the lamb until, unless, unless they'd been ritually purified first. The actual substitute um, that, that was was given couldn't even be handled by uh, a sinful priest unless he'd first of all been gone through ritual purification. The only one who could be a substitute for you and your sins was the Holy One himself, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, uh, Isaiah goes on to say, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And uh, Isaiah now continues with this you know, talking in the, in the first person about, um, or in the, in, the, um, in, the, in the first person plural, we, I, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And from now on we have a section in which uh, he now focuses upon us, how we responded to, to Jesus. Now, it, Jesus was talking, uh, sorry, Isaiah was talking about 700 years into the future. When there will be universal blessing coming upon, uh, 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 coming upon people in general, but he even where he's in his standpoint, seven hundred years before, he realizes not only am I a sinner, and we, but we as part of the world are the ones that are rebels against God and are rebels against His Christ, and he he goes on to say, not only did we not esteem Him, we just thought He was He was cursed of God, smitten by God, afflicted. But he goes on to say he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Now note, pierced involves a violent death. Here's where our Muslim friends have massive problems. When they uh, they try to say that somehow, oh no, God couldn't have allowed um, a great prophet to actually die. Well here we have it. Spelt out very clearly, there had to be the death of a pure and holy one, in order for there uh, to be salvation, and it was going to be a violent death. He was pierced. Now, in those days, people could be pierced by spears, by arrows, or by spikes. It happened in war. But actually, we are, it's later defined the circumstances of his death. It, it was through judgment, through um, a, uh, a an organised formal death in some kind of court, some kind of gathering together of people, sentencing him to death. Now, the Jewish people only knew of one uh, capital punishment, which was through stoning. They didn't know of any uh, of any uh, killing of people through piercing in, uh, as, a, as a court punishment. So here we have a prediction that this suffering servant would die violently through piercing, when of course we know that's exactly what crucifixion uh, death by crucifixion involved, um, uh, but we see that he was pierced for our transgressions now, what transgressions it 's not talking about here trans- transgressions against human laws, bylaws, edicts from kings, but transgressions of god 's holy law so we, so we have this refining of the, the basic message, which is yes. There is a servant who's going to suffer. He's going to suffer a violent death in order to bear the sins of people. And he's going to do this because human beings have broken God's laws. We have transgressed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, which means the evil things in our life. Disgusting, evil, wickedness in the human heart. And he was this innocent lamb Slain in our place. Now. uh, We have this. uh, Next phrase in. In 53 verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone. To his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now. A lost sheep. Has lost his shepherd. You know I mean a lost sheep. might say, I don't know where my, my shepherd has gone. He's lost. No. You're the lost sheep. It's the good shepherd that comes looking for the lost sheep and jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and we see jesus commentary on isaiah 53 when he said that the good shepherd lays down his life for his lost sheep for his sheep that that is under threat from the devil he lays down his life and that's what it says here we've we've all of us have gone astray we've turned everyone to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all now, again, we have yet another reference to this idea of guilt being taken away. The lamb slain in the temple as a guilt offering. On so many occasions uh, throughout this passage, we have this, these ideas that, there's, that someone's going to die in the place of, this, of the sinner. This holy person that will die because of, because of, uh, because of the sins of people. And in fact, um, if I just enumerate these, it says he was oppressed and afflicted. Verse 7, why? In order to save us. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Why? That we might be forgiven. We were crushed and put to grief. Verse 10, why? He 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 was made sick with our sins. He became a curse for us, even though he himself was completely pure. Out of the anguish of his soul, we're told, he, uh, he, 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 shall, uh, he, he shall see and be satisfied. He went through anguish. Uh, and why was this? Because he wanted to make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That's verse 11. If we look at his body, it was pierced, verse 5. His body was crushed, verse 5. He was chastised. He was whipped, verse 5. He had wounds and he was afflicted. He went through all of this, all of this suffering, as an innocent person in order to bear away the sins of the world. Now I just want to finish on this point. And this passage bears the most closest study, every phrase within it, comparing it to other parts of the Old Testament. But just finish on this point. The servant psalm does not end with the suffering of Christ, but not at all. It ends referring to the accomplished work of Christ. Because it says at at the end uh, verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Christ is satisfied with what he has done on the cross. I mean, Muslims aren't. Atheists Millions of people in our country aren't satisfied with what Christ did. But Jesus is satisfied because it accomplished the work that he set out to do. It is finished was one of his last uh, phrases from, or last uh, sounds that came from, from him uh, before he died. Uh, one of the last phrases. And are you satisfied with what he's done? Can you say Oh Lord, thank you. You have saved me and forgiven me and I thank you for your finished work. He rose from the dead. Um, We're we're told, uh, of course, um, that uh, he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Uh, He's given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is king of glory. And uh, it it particularly says um, that Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. But before that, and just the phrase before that, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He's going to see the people born again. And he will continue to see people being born again because the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, I just want to finish by saying this. If you are not a believer... And you may be saying, well, I don't know whether I'm going to be included in this, uh, this uh, fantastic work that Jesus has done. He died on the cross for sinners. Would he die for me? Well, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his, his hand. Many, are going, many more people are going to be made righteous and find peace with God before he comes again. We don't know when that may be, it might be tonight. But uh, we trust God that even uh, tonight, all over England, there are going to be people that will be saved. And may it be that there might be someone online that's listening that may actually uh, take uh, this uh, invitation, I, I see it as. That if, if uh, Christ is still accomplishing his work, if he's still um, completing um, this, uh, this great mission of bringing people into salvation, well, why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't you be one of the people where the will of the Lord will prosper in the hands of Jesus, bringing the salvation uh, to you? Now, so, this suffering servant of Christ, this Lamb of God that we're told by John the Baptist takes away the sin of the world, well, why shouldn't he take away your sin? Why shouldn't you tonight be able to, to bring your life to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, forgive my transgressions. Take my sins away from me. Take my record of sin away from me. Clothe me in your righteousness. May I be accounted righteous in your sight through uh, the work that you have done. And indeed, if you do call out to him to do that, he will answer you. Let's, uh, let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this great and wonderful Lamb of God. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we know that... Uh, in calling Christ the Lamb of God, we remember, Lord, that he suffered. But we also remember that he rose and ascended into heaven. And from there dispenses salvation to the souls of men and women and children on in this world. And we pray, Lord, oh, grant that there may be many, many, many more millions of people in Britain that in future will come to Christ. We do not know, Lord, it is in your hands. Lord, you might bring the world to an end very quickly. Or there may be another generation, but Lord, we pray, have mercy upon this country, this benighted country. Lord, we do not deserve it. We do not, uh, we do not merit it in any way at all, but we ask, have mercy upon the people of Britain. Have mercy upon, Lord, all of us who might be listening online. Who Help us, Lord, if we haven't yet trusted in you, to, 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 to put our faith in you and to thank you uh, for what you have done for us. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.